when there's a problem in the world that we feel needs a response, remember that the response is always turning back to the mystery of Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined in the seedy hotel room by Dave. How you doing, Van Vickle? How you doing, Dave? I'm good. Yeah. This is I think this hotel room is nice. Actually. It is actually. It's a very nice, clean hotel room. Yeah, but we're together we recording are. for this the is, first time. This is live. This is crazy. I get to stare into your eyes. That's weird, and but you just made it weird. I did. I did. I apologize. But we're here because it's a very special time in our lives. It's a very special time in the church. We are trying to figure out uh, how to save the world that is ripping itself apart. I I don't think we've ever had a more hostile and divided anything in our culture right now. You know, Roe v. Wade just was overturned a few weeks ago, a few Fridays ago from when we're recording this. There is so much craziness going on in the political world with midterm elections and everything. But I think the um, thing that I came back when I started reading Pope John Paul's Redeemer of Man encyclical, his first encyclical was like, despite all the divisions, this is the the gospel was made for a time such as this. Yeah, for a time such as this, exactly. For God so loved this world. Yeah, yeah, not some imaginary world where everything's perfect. This one. So, ladies and gentlemen, what we are going to do is we're going to look deeply at three works of our very sainted Pope John Paul II to understand how we ourselves can become better evangelists, leading people to closer to Christ from the heart of the church. This is going to be like a master class from a master evangelist. The first work is Redeemer of Man, his actual first encyclical, where he lays out in part his vision for his papacy and its continuation of Pope Paul VI and also Vatican II. But also, uh, it lays out a beautiful vision of why the incarnation of Christ matters for modern man today. The second encyclical that we're going to dive into is Mission of the Redeemer, a crucial work that examines the missionary impulse of the church and how it shapes everything we do as Catholic Christians. Finally, We are going to follow our own methodology and pursue discipleship, which means moving beyond just the kerygma into catechesis on Christian living. And we use Veritatis Splendor, his epic work on Christian morality. So by using these three, Redeemer of Man, Mission of the Redeemer, and Veritatis Splendor, uh, we hope to form you through the heart of the church for Catholic evangelization. While we can't go through every paragraph or even hit all of the highlights, We think if you, your parish staff, your prayer group, a friend, whatever, if you get the document and read through them with us, you will deepen both your love and knowledge of actually proclaiming the faith. So for three weeks, we're going to walk through Redeemer of Man, and three more weeks we're going to spend on Mission of the Redeemer. Then we're going to spend two short weeks on Veritatis Splendor. In reality, we could spend a year on each of these documents, absolutely. That will give you eight weeks of studying a holy man's wisdom, a saint's vision, and a pope's desire to see the whole of humanity united to Christ Jesus. So what I want you to do is Google the documents right now or Bing them. If you're Dave, you're going to Bing them. You're going to copy and paste them into a word document, make some fat margins, print them out so that you can take notes and track with us. Tune in every week as we walk through the gospel with St. Pope John Paul, the great boom, baby. (laughs) That's fun. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what Bing is, but that's cool. You don't know what Bing is? No. Microsoft's competitor to Google? Oh, I know. It went nowhere? No, I didn't know. 
So you Bing it instead of Google it. That's cool. All right. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so dumb. So Dave, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I I uh, am excited. You know, Stu- we're in Steubenville, Ohio, right now. We're on which, the mothership. Yeah, we're on the exactly. Campus. This I is like this is like no. This is Rivendale. <laughs> this is Rivendale, right? This is like <laughs> yeah. like just make it to the to the. Uh, this is Father Dave Pavanka, Elron. <laughs> right, he totally is. He totally is. He's not as grumpy as Elron, though. Yeah, that's true. But he does uh, have less hair. <laughs> which is fine which is fine yeah i just got to do some, a lot of beautiful youth conferences uh yeah how was your youth conference you Man. just got back from yeah let me tell you so right now we're recording this i'm in the middle of two youth conferences i came from mid-america where i brought my family my wife's from st louis so uh they all stayed we came up a few days early they all stayed in st louis so i drove down and did the conference and it was awesome it's one of those events one thing that's different about franciscan youth conferences that are different than any other youth conference is the team approach. You are there as a team. You sit in a room right. and you stare at each other's face and you go through the schedule together. You go through each other's talks together. Why don't you share with us what you're going to talk about today? You know, and it's intense and you go to each other's talks, even though all you want to do is go back to the hotel and take a nap. You go through each other's and it's awesome. It is powerful because you have this one goal. So you're constantly feeding off each other. Like what are, what are you getting from the teens? What conversations were you having at the bookstore and stuff like that? So we just had a great crew. Guess who last minute fill in Lisa Cotter, the only one woman to ever be interviewed on every no way oh, that's cool yeah literally we interviewed her like four weeks ago yeah. and she and we were together and uh she sold out of her books she crushed it i mean it was just it was so awesome i was there also with my buddy brian greenfield he's great and professor and new deacon bob rice oh he was the that host. is a that's an awesome yeah. team yeah, we had a blast. We had a blast so uh that was the speaking team a lot of great people there so the big thing is constantly seeing the desire to evangelize high school students, right? And like the apathy is real. The hurt is insanely real. And the thing they respond to constantly is the message of healing from wounds and anxiety and stuff. So that's been my, yeah. I mean, they're a wounded generation more than anyone else. So, uh, that was, that was my, uh, summer fun. What about you? Yeah, no, um, it's been good. I've been plugging away. I'm starting to do some traveling now and, you know, my fall is always insane, so I'll, I'm booking a lot for the fall. But tomorrow I'll be speaking at the Bosco Conference and excited about that and talking about the charisma, so something we've discussed so often. I am thinking about you know everything that you're saying and excited about conferences, and I'm thinking how much, how much of like dynamic Catholicism in America is the heritage of the guy who we're talking about for this series, Pope oh, John yeah. Paul II. You know what's so sad about my love of Pope John Paul? It has totally got like lazy and diminished over the years. Really? And in doing this, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is why I studied theology and love this man. Right. And like just reading his works when you know a little bit of background, like you get the context and you read it, you're, it just opens your eyes. And so that's what we hope to do for everyone today to talk through um, Redeemer of Man, Redemptor Hominis. Uh, we're going to go through that document together. So download it from the Vatican website, print it out, and make sure you can take notes with us as we go through this document. And quick reminder, shoot us an email. One of the big things is even though we're recording this live, or live me and Dave here together in a, in a CD hotel room, one of the... <laughs> I'm not going to stop. One of the <laughs> can't stop, won't stop. One of the things that we still want you to do is to send us questions right now over the summer. We've already got about five or six questions from the end of our last uh, set of shows. So we want those to keep coming because what we're doing is we're compiling them, organ. Well, 
People at Accenture Press are compiling them and organizing them for us on an Excel spreadsheet that we can wing it whenever that day comes to record. So yeah, we are still doing Q&A shows. So just big picture, we're going to do three weeks here on this document, three weeks on the next one, two weeks on Veritatis Splendor. And then we're going to have a series of interviews and the Q&A shows. So that way, this kind of seasonal content feels fresh, feels new. It's not just me and Dave uh, talking back and forth, although we know everyone loves that. But we get these great interviews that we've had that hit different audiences. Like Lisa Cotter hit a totally different audience than Dr. Uh, what's his name? Dr. Michael, who wrote the wonderful book on morality and, and your book brothers and your brother your brother-in-law what was his name again dr roger nutt dr nutt that's right (laughs) i always forget i always forget his name i'll ask you a little bit later to remind me so let's do this let's go through the document together yeah yeah will you introduce it for us all right dave so let's dive into this encyclical now i love this because what he starts off doing is giving a big picture of his papacy so folks if you're reading this at home which you absolutely should be because you're going to get 10 times more out of this than just listening to us Paragraph one, two, three, the whole opening part is called inheritance. And that is the best title for what this covers, because what he wants to do is show his connection with Vatican II. He's going to give us an, an authoritative interpretation of Vatican II. Because the problem is, in basically from the end of Vatican, actually during Vatican II, until his papacy, the church was seriously in internal dire straits. People were essentially at war with each other. It was all over the place. People were interpreting Vatican II. I'm sure you've heard, if you're listening to this, the spirit of Vatican II. Ooh. So there's all that stuff um, that's going on. And he talks about it somewhat. He addresses it in a little indirect way, talking about the ab intra turmoil of the church in a lot of ways, but he wants everyone to understand that he is continuing what he perceives is the fruit of the council and the papacies of John the 23rd and Pope Paul the sixth. Yeah. And I think it's important to understand that there was this idea that like, you have that one side, that's the spirit of the council, yeah, which is usually the more liberal side, right? Like, and then you have the other side where they, they kind of insist there's no new doctrine. Right. Right. But I think what you see in these documents that we're going to go through is that the council taught doctrine, not new doctrine, but yeah. it taught doctrine. And what he's going to do is he's going to clarify all of that. He's yeah. going to clarify what the church is really about. And it's cool because one of the themes that Gomer and I will talk about is how uh, Christ reveals man to himself. And Vatican II, in a certain sense, he, he even uses this analogy, right, that it reveals the church to itself, right? Yeah. It's a discussion of what the church is. Yeah, so that's a big part to understand the framework or the context of this encyclical because he's building it on Pope Paul the sixth um, document, uh, Ecclesiam Suum. Yeah. And his whole purpose is that he uses this phrase over and over again. It's a very JP2 phrase, which is the consciousness of the church. The church has a con- is conscious right. of itself. So this is a council that spends a lot of time on herself, her own nature, the dimensions of her own being. And so Pope Paul the sixth from the fruit of that, wrote his document. And so he's saying... I am explicitly linking my papacy to his document, Ecclesiam Suum. And so uh, this is what he wrote. Paul VI selected this present-day consciousness of the church as the first theme in his fundamental encyclical, beginning with the words Ecclesiam Suum. Let me refer, first of all, to this encyclical and link myself with it in this first document that, so to speak, inaugurates the present pontificate. And the biggest thing here that sets up everything is – 
He says, we need to, the church's consciousness, enlightened and supported by the Holy Spirit, and fathoming more and more deeply both her divine mystery and her human mission, and even her human weaknesses. So that idea of the divine and the human, the mission and the the dimensions of the church, even our weaknesses and the human side of it, this is going to be the whole of the encyclical, like him framing his papacy within these terms. So Gomer, let me just uh, throw a question out to you. Yeah. Uh, maybe controversial, maybe not. Who knows? I hope it's controversial. <laughs> Listeners love controversy. Am I right? Reading these documents, a lot of it seems to me that there were certain places where the council was trying to bring the church back from losing its way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is an important un- like context to understand this because the missionary aspect that we're going to talk about over this season in a large way was lost. I mean, there, you know, we, we, there are people that, you know, uh, elderly people who remember you did not interact with those who were not Catholic, right? Yeah. You did not engage the world. That wasn't the thing that you yeah. did, you know, and this is going to fly right in the face of that. Yeah. And the idea is what was called known at that time as a fortress mentality of the church, right? That the church is everywhere under siege by modernity, modern times, modern things, socialism, communism, capitalism, um, all the isms that Pope Leo fought against in his papacy. But you have this siege mentality that creeps in. So what does the church do? It builds thicker walls, right? And what did the council want to do was, you know, open up the windows to the church, let the breath of the Holy Spirit in. Everyone jokes that, yeah, you also let in all the flies. Right. Uh, but so this is what Pope John Paul, he wants to give us a missionary and pilgrim image of the church. But, so I'm glad, so I'm glad yeah. you, this is why I'm so glad you brought up in the beginning how like it's a controversial time in our country yeah. or in the world. Okay. Yeah. Because I think what Pope John Paul is saying is like, look, we're still in trouble with the isms. Okay. The isms are still here. Yeah. The isms are still here. The answer is Christ. The answer yeah. is Jesus Christ. You know, uh, it's not to build thicker walls. It's to go out and yeah. aggressively uh, preach the gospel. Yeah, and we weren't doing that in the 70s. We weren't doing that in the 80s. Yeah, so when we look at this, we have to go forward in understanding that Christ, 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 not the church, is the center of the church's faith. And that's what he wants to bring us. But here's the beautiful thing. So the church is conscious actively of her divine and human dimension. So let's go to paragraph seven, which I love. This kicks off the chapter called The Mystery of Redemption. And for those of us who are evangelists, what are we doing? We are bringing people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only reason why we have that is because God became incarnate. And he really wants to drive home that the reason why the church is both human and divine is because that's what the bridegroom of the church is Jesus Christ is fully God and fully divine. So he talks about that. We have to understand the mystery of redemption within the mystery of Christ. So here's a couple wonderful quotes from paragraph seven that I love. Our response must be our spirit is set in one direction. The only direction for our intellect, will, and heart is towards Christ, our redeemer towards Christ, the redeemer of man. We wish to look towards him because there is salvation in no one else but him, the Son of God, repeating what Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then again with that consciousness thing, through the church's consciousness, which the council considerably developed through all the levels of this self-awareness and through all the fields of activity in which the church expresses, finds, and confirms herself, we must constantly aim at him who is the head. 
right? He's the one, his life is what speaks to us, his humanity, his fidelity to the truth and his all embracing love. And that's, that is a fraction of just paragraph seven. You could just take paragraph seven and meditate for like a month on that sucker. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. It is awesome. Yeah. And so he, uh, it kind of blows you away with that last, the last sentence of the paragraph where he's basically saying like, look, the church needs to get to the point where we are Christ, right? We know nothing but Christ. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The church stays within the sphere of the mystery of Shvia. within the sphere, <laughs> within the sphere of the mystery of redemption, which has become the fundamental principle of her life and mission, yeah. right? This is where the church needs to stay within this mystery of redemption, within the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we stay faithful. And that's how we stay focused on on being the church of Jesus Christ, on being missionary. Yeah. And then another set of context to understand JP2's thought. He is fighting at a time when the Soviet Union is super strong. This document was written in 1979, the first year of his pontificate in the middle of Lent. And so the idea of this is like, hey, there are atheistic, and you'll, he'll say these things like programs of atheism, yeah. atheistic regimes where now a geopolitical map can be drawn about religions. He makes a comment that Vatican II did that because of the atheism that is institutionalized in the Soviets, in the Chinese communists and all this stuff. And so he's trying to address this situation, but also the arms race where we are about to annihilate ourselves. Now you might think, okay, why are we talking about this? Because this will come up in our next show where it's like, what is the situation of modern man? And so he wants to be able to address this, but this is where he introduces it in paragraph eight in Jesus Christ, the visible world, which God created for man, the world that when sin entered was subject to futility recovers again, its original link with the divine source of wisdom and love. And I love this phrase. He says, as this link was broken in the man, Adam, so in the man Christ, it was reforged. That sounds like a, like a church father quote right there. Oh yeah. Completely. It is so awesome. Completely. Yeah. And he's going to, he's going to come back to this, right? That, that Jesus Christ is, it's a, it's a new creation. It's a new creation that he's trying to make. I, I love, it. I love See, it. And the thing that we have to realize by this paragraph eight, like when we talk about the kerygma, you know, typically we do the four laws right of the the protestant world that they kind of came up with this notion of the four laws which is creation the fall redemption and salvation so the idea is god loves you has a plan for your life sin interrupts that blah 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 right you we're all familiar with this well here is jp2 modeling this brilliant encyclical on essentially the gospel because he's saying here we have god's original plan and then we have the ruination of that plan because of Adam, because of Adam's sin and selfishness, the link was broken between man and God, but that also brought futility to creation, right? Creation itself in, in Romans chapter eight, St. Paul says for creation itself was subject to futility, but now the creator entered creation, right? That's the amazing thing that we're going to talk about. So he says, Christ, the redeemer of the world is the one who penetrated in a unique unrepeatable way into the mystery of man and entered his heart rightly therefore does the second vatican council teach and i'll skip a lot of that stuff christ the new adam in the very revelation of the mystery of the father and his love and this is the line that so many people quote fully reveals man to himself and brings to light his most high calling i love that yeah yeah and it and it's like a uh 
it's going to be the theme that he uses throughout this entire document that man needs to be revealed to himself and it can only happen in Christ Jesus, the new Adam, a new creation by becoming a new creation, by uh, totally entering into the mystery of redemption. The incarnation is a big deal for this document, right? Because everything is about that man and society, the created world is in dire straits. Christ came in, to the world at, at for such a time as these, he ends that paragraph. He's, he says, for by his incarnation, he, the son of God, in a certain way, united himself with each man. He worked with human hands. He thought with a human mind. He acted with a human will and with a human heart. He loved born of the Virgin Mary. He has truly been made one of us like, a, like to us in all things, except sin. He, the redeemer of man. He does this about four times where he ends a paragraph with it, a, with a, a mic drop. Yeah. 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 It's, totally. it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. But so I want you, as you go through this encyclical to think about those phrases that Jesus Christ, the new Adam fully reveals man to himself. And that in the incarnation, God in a certain way united himself with each man, because what the Pope wants us to do is what we often fail to do in the modern world, which is we're in love with a thing that doesn't exist called humanity, right? There's not like it's, it's Dave, me and humanity, right? No, there's no such thing as humanity. Humanity is a a category, right? But we, what that does is it enables uh, wicked people who want an excuse to do terrible things, quote, for the greater good, quote, for humanity to actually do terrible things to individual human persons. And so what the Pope will reiterate, and of course, we're going to blow this open totally in Veritatis Splendor, but he wants to reiterate that each and every, just as each and every man is made in the image and likeness of God, is redeemed by Jesus Christ. So too does our gospel go to them. And so too do we work to liberate each and every, not just humanity, but because of the incarnation, each and every. Right. And so it's important to understand that one of the, one of the major things of John Paul II's theology is the fact that each and every man has to dive into the mystery of what Christ wanted to do. What Christ was sent to do was to reveal the Father, to show the Father's love for us, Love will be a major theme throughout this document that love is what teaches man what he is. He cannot mm-hmm. be alone. He cannot be on his own, right? Love oh, is I going love to point, save yeah. the world. And Christ is the only person who fully reveals that love of the Father for humanity, and it's on the cross. So if you're going to spend time with this document, what he's talking about, when we say love, we don't mean yummy, 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 I got love in my tummy, like no. this weak sauce love this fickle thing that we call love today what we mean is as c.s lewis brilliantly said in one of his poems love is as hard as nails right and so paragraphs nine and ten do exactly what number one we've already talked about it but it's the divine and the human uh images or dimensions of redemption and so he's setting that up to talk about the divine and human images and and dimensions of the church but this is where love becomes the central thing and this is why i love it because one of my favorite topics is atonement theology yeah and this is all about atonement theology i love it now so yeah. so so yeah, before yeah. we move on i, I want to like just bring it to uh, our missionary aspect a practical missionary aspect and that is the fact that pope john paul II's is laying out a plan for the redemption of the world for changing the world right from for delivering it from all of these isms yeah and that plan is that each and every one of us experience the mystery of christ allow the father to reveal his love to us on a personal level and so one of the things that we have to always do i think as catholics is when there's a problem in the world that we feel needs a response 
remember that the response is always turning back to the mystery of Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection. Yeah, to live in the mystery of redemption. Oh, I love that. Wait, I thought our initial response should be to the world's problems to create a hashtag. A program? Oh, a pro- program, yeah. <laughs> And then create a program A, a, a with social media account. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe a logo? Yeah. Maybe a cool logo? No way, yeah. Yeah, right. that's it. Handshake. Yeah. Sorry, it's, it's handshake. I love all those business logos with people handshaking. Oh, yeah. that's the best. Yeah. All right, paragraph nine. Let's talk about the divine dimension of the mystery of the redemption. The divine dimension of the mystery of redemption. Just that phrase needs to set your brain on. This is so beautiful. Uh, I pulled out a couple money quotes on this that I just love. We do not forget, even for a moment, that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, became our reconciliation with the Father. Now, here's the deal. When you talk to average Catholics, Catholics from pre-1960s, you know, Catholics today, when you talk to them, do they talk like this? That Jesus Christ is no. my reconciliation with no. the Father. He it was and he alone who satisfied the, etern- the Father's eternal love. That fatherhood that from the beginning found expression in creating the world. Like think about this. Jesus Christ is our reconciliation with the Father. Right? He didn't come to teach us an eightfold path or the fourfold way or whatever the Buddha thing is. He didn't come <laughs> to give us a method. Right? He came to give us himself. Right. And I think also uh, it's important, like the the next statement, he's going to say he and he alone also satisfied that fatherhood of God. OK, yeah. I think it's really important that Catholics rediscover the fact the that, yeah. well, that we offer ourselves like shoulder to shoulder with Christ as a sacrifice. Right. Christ yeah. is the is the living sacrifice. We offer that. And that it, that kind of puts everything in the Catholic Church in perspective. Yeah. Like, for instance, the priesthood the mass, yeah. right? That we don't, it's not like a Protestant service. Yeah. It's special. So it's so funny that you say that number one, the Pope explicitly makes a liturgical connection at right. the end of the document called on uh, Eucharist and penance. But just the other day I was listening to a wonderful podcast called council of Trent with Trent Horn. He's a Catholic answers apologist. And he he's played, I've heard it before this clip from James white, who is a reformed church apologist and uh, non-Presbyterian, he's a Baptist or something. But um, he often, when he attacks the Catholic Church, he says, oh, well, it's the Catholic view of the Mass. That's where they truly went wrong. Because what they believe, it's it's the one sacrifice of Christ represented in an unbloody manner. It's the same sacrifice of what was offered, done now in, the, in an unbloody way. And uh, 99% of Catholics in the pews do not know that when we go to Mass, it is the off, the self-offering of the Son to the Father right. that we get to participate in. And he goes, so you're telling me that people can go 2,000 times in their life to the death before the, the death of Christ on the cross, the offering of Christ on the cross, and, you know, and still lose their salvation. And I'm like, yeah, because we don't we, – we just treat it like nothing. Like right. the people who were there at the foot of the cross who just saw another criminal dying, right? Right, Or maybe people who were sad or emotional about it or horrified by it. Right. But it's like, I mean, think about all the people in the town where the hemorrhaging woman was healed. Jesus said, who touched me? And the apostles are like, dude, everyone is touching you. But yet this one woman was healed, right? Like that's the difference that faith makes. Go back to that document on the reciprocity. Right. I was thinking about that the whole exactly. time. I, was I, was about about that. I can't unsee that document. The, the, yeah. yeah. And I and I don't want to get into the liturgical stuff, but this is like why you don't mess with liturgy, right? This I mean, you have to be really careful careful mass be, with liturgy right, yeah 
So I, but I just think about this in terms of that quote from earlier uh, in the document, we live, the church lives in the sphere of the mystery of redemption. Yeah. So it's like, yes, we don't just go to a Bible study. I mean, which can be great. I'm not trying to knock on Protestant services, but when we we go to mass, we go to liturgy. We go to witness the divine work of the father on behalf of his people through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's like, yeah, it is something different. This is the divine redemption unfolding right before us in a way that we, uh, we can access. So here he says the cross on Calvary through which Jesus Christ, a man, the son of the Virgin Mary thought to be the son of Joseph of Nazareth leaves this world. Is also a fresh manifestation of the eternal fatherhood of God, who in him draws near again to humanity, to each human being, again, that each and every, right? Giving him the thrice Holy Spirit of truth. And so the idea of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fullest manifestation of the fatherhood of God, because now he's bringing us children home. So when we talk about what are we, what are we doing when we evangelize people? So we're bringing them home to their father, right? Yeah. 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 And I, I love, uh, you know, this is funny. I, I remember you and I had a conversation years ago about there was a podcast that had a, a a bent that they thought it was inappropriate for Catholics to talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I mean, it's like this entire document is a each and every, right? Yeah. That That phrase is so important that each and every single one of us has to experience the 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 life the the passion death and resurrection of jesus christ in a personal way yeah it is sad because when we say personal relation with jesus christ i mean there's areas where you could take that wrong but like not really if you're reading it any yeah, with any amount on. of charitableness right yeah right you know I, yeah i don't mean a privatize me and jesus no. thing but no catholic ever means that what we mean is all that you are as a person is in love with all that he is as the divine person of the Trinity, right? It is a personal relationship. It is not an artificial. It is not a, a half-hearted relationship. It is personal. It is interpersonal. And it, and this is the next paragraph, paragraph 10, which has one of the greatest quotes of all of JP2's, yeah. uh, of all of his content, which is saying a lot, but this is one that is quoted often. Man cannot live, live without love. love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him. If he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it, if we may use the expression, this is the human dimension of the mystery of redemption. In this dimension, man finds again the greatness, dignity, and value that belong to his humanity. Could someone please write a song about that quote? Yeah, I did. Man, you want to hear it? Not, I, no, I, 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 I absolutely did. I absolutely did. Hold me, Jesus. That's, that's the worst song ever. Okay. That's the worst song ever. But, okay. but okay, <laughs> can, can I just like, I, I want to kind of bring this down a little bit and and for people to just look at this very practically that yeah. think of someone you know who has had lack of love in their life. Yeah. The wounds, the, the fear. Yeah. And just like the unmoored feeling of their life that they don't know who they are, they don't know what to be. And then like, like, like think about children who just are totally loved yeah. and they, they have a confidence, they have a different, you know, way of living. I know that this is an oversimplification of, of the statement that he's making, but, but it's, it, I want to make sure you understand it's true. Like it's literally man will never know himself without love and without self gift and I think that that is, uh, there's something to be said yeah. uh, for like just family here. 
right? Mm-hmm. Family's so important, and it's going to be so important throughout his pontificate. The, de- yeah. the defense of the family. The defense of the family. He loves human love. Yeah, he that loves is one of, it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone asked me, why do I love human love? I love it because it is fair. That's what, one of his great quotes. The idea of love is not ever meant to be an abstract theory to JP2. It was never that. It was always real people. You know, growing up um, in Poland at the time, there was a lot of anti-Semitism that was sweeping through 1920s and 30s Poland. Right. And, uh, you know, it was sweeping through all of Europe, but in a particular strong way because there's a huge Polish population. He lived about 30 miles away from Krakow in a place called uh, Wadowice. And there in the town, there was a lot of anti-Semitism, but the town was like two, quor- um, two quarters, also known as a half Jewish and half Catholic. And so at the school, he went to a public school there, they would play soccer and JP2 loved soccer and little young Carol, and they would play, they would divide up the teams, Catholics versus the Jews, right? And so- Can you it was, imagine that? It was, yeah, <laughs> imagine if we had that in our public schools. Oh, and we got the Catholics on this side, the Jews on this side, and the principal just got fired. Yeah, right. Um, you know, so, <laughs> so uh, they would play it, and he, because there was less Jews at the school than Catholics, he would always volunteer to be the Jewish goalie. Right. And a girl after World War II who was uh, arrested by the Nazis, her family, she was recounting her life, and she said, in in Waduice, there was one family right. that never hesitated in loving the Jews in the community that never showed an ounce of hostility, and that was the Voitia family, and it was Carol and his father. Yeah, and actually, like a rabbi would end up being very influential in his life. He, yeah. he was friends with a lot of. Um, it, it was a it was a big deal for him. So, yeah. Yeah. so I want to keep going on, and we're, we're gonna. This is gonna be the last part of this chunk of the show because I, for those of us who are in love with proclaiming the gospel, this is where I was thinking of this during my Subinville talk when I was talking to teens about um, hidden wounds was one of my talks. The man who wishes to understand himself thoroughly and not just in accordance with immediate, partial, often superficial and even illusory standards and measures of his being. He must with his unrest, uncertainty, and even his weakness and sinfulness with his life and death draw near to Christ. He must, so to speak, enter into him with all his own self. He must appropriate and assimilate the whole of the reality of the incarnation and redemption in order to find himself. Like that line was a summary of my whole talk to the high school students. Cool. Trying to get them to like, listen, there are wonderful, beautiful, good things in the world. When we talk about the world, we're not trying to trash everything out there, but at the same time, right? You are being forced to wear masks that are just robbing you of peace, joy. that are giving you anxiety. He says unrest, uncertainty, and even weakness and sinfulness. We could have thrown in anxiety and depression to speak to the youth today, right? Like, and, and he's not saying get, he'll fix that and then come to Christ. He's saying, no, 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 bring your life and your death, bring all of this to Jesus, find yourself in him. And then he said, <laughs> the next line is so Oh, it's so beautiful. In reality, the name for that deep amazement at man's worth and dignity is the gospel. That is to say the good news. It is also called Christianity. Yeah. uh, So when I was reading this, you know, I have like a big square around it and I'm like thinking this is a new way to explain evangelization, right? That what we're trying to do is, is garner Mm -hmm. an amazement at man's personal dignity. And I think that you see that right. Mm -hmm. When you evangelize someone, because you'll see like uh, a happiness, like that they're the fathers, that they understand the father's love for them, 
that they understand that Christ died for their sins, that they understand they can offer themselves to the Father, and that the Father has prepared a place for them. Yeah. Like there, there's something that happens that's transforming in a person that they can look at themselves with amazement. They can yeah. see them for the first themselves for the first time in the light of Christ and see who they truly are. And it's it's like a it's like for the first time they're on dry land and they yeah. can stand and like not, you know. Yeah, and that's this is the thing is this is the whole point of that fancy phrase from Vatican II, Christ fully reveals man to himself is so important because that's what he's saying. He's saying this is the human dimension, right? That's paragraph 10. The human dimension is, "Hey, remember your dignity." right? You're selling it out for cheap counterfeit knockoffs. Remember your dignity. Like you actually have surpassing and unrepeatable unique worth in the eyes of God. This is all coming from JP2's personalist philosophy and theology. He believed, JP2 believes that every person is made in the image and likeness of God and he acted accordingly. Right. And that, and that like, that's why we decided to talk about Veritati Splendor in this, in this series, because there is, there's a dignity that you have as man and that dignity comes with a responsibility mm -hmm. and that responsibility is to live as a redeemed person. Deep amazement at man's worth and dignity is the gospel, the good news. It is also called Christianity. This amazement determines the church's mission in the world and perhaps even more so in the modern world. So this is, so this is the thing, like people, there's a joke, like in, uh, talk with priests all the time and they like in my diocese and they all think I'm so hard on priests. But like, I always say like, you can, you can preach a gospel to my children. That's too hard. You can preach a gospel to my children. That's a little too adventurous, but do not preach a boring gospel to my children. And I think like this paragraph, yeah, like amazement is a word that was very deliberate that he mm -hmm. used. It's not just excited. Yeah. It's not cool. Yeah. It's not just joy. It's amazement. Like we should be in awe at what we are in Christ. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a little break right here and we're going to come back to wrap up the show. The mystery of Christ as the basis of the church's mission in Christianity. This is going to lead us into how we're going to apply this to our missionary lives. Also, we're going to give you a couple of practical takeaways. When we come back, uh, everyone, here's a quick reminder. Email us at EKSB at EssentialPress.com. Email us your questions, uh, thoughts, opinions, uh, angry forwards that you have from <laughs> failed church leaders, which sometimes I get. I don't know why. But uh, no, what we want to do is we want to keep getting these. We want to we wanna stockpile them so that we can have a lot of episodes where we go through with your Q&A. So that's EKSB at EssentialPress.com. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we are back. Remember, EKSB at EssentialPress.com. Send us those emails. That'll be awesome. Okay, so now we're on paragraph 11 and 12. And I want to kind of summarize this because understand the methodology of JP2. 
He's connecting himself to Vatican II, to Pope Paul VI, John the Twenty-Third, etc. But so he's showing this inheritance that he has. But he's like, okay, here's the modern world. The modern world is not the medieval world. And if we understand that in the church's own self-consciousness, then within that, we need to apply this to today in a very real way. And that very real way is the church is not herself unless we're looking at Christ, the mystery of Christ and the mystery of our redemption in Christ. That's the basis of the church's mission. So we have this wonderful quote in paragraph 11, where he says in Christ and through Christ, God has revealed himself fully to mankind and has definitively drawn close to it at the same time in Christ and through Christ, man has acquired full awareness of his dignity of the heights to which he is raised of the surpassing worth of his own humanity and of the meaning of his existence. However, we can and must immediately reach and display to the world our unity in proclaiming the mystery of Christ, in revealing the divine dimension and also the human dimension of redemption. What's going on, Dave? You got inquisitive eyes. You're staring at me. No, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so interested. I wish he was here in the room. I wish he was here in the room, not just because He's a saint and such a wonderful inspiration, but because I'd love to talk to him about what well, what are the what are the concrete things he saw on the street that he was responding to, you know, about this. But I but I love the fact that w- what he says in the next uh, like mini paragraph there it says Jesus Christ is the stable principle and fixed center of the mission that God Himself has entrusted to man, and I think like we can get really caught up in whatever programs, processes, trainings that we want, but we have to remember it's all about Jesus Christ. And earlier in the document, he talks about how the church continually hears the words of Jesus Christ. Here's the word of Jesus Christ. And that is what we have to do is just continually enter into relationship with him. And, and at the end of that mini paragraph, he has like, like such a, he was such a manly guy and he wrote like, it's such a, like kind of like a, like a aggressive, punchy yeah, yeah. Punchy way, uh, where he talks about, you know, we need people who are, are basically like fools to the world, right. Yep. That we're not as shrewd as, as the people of this oh, yeah, day and does. we'll take it. Yeah. And he said, and we want violent men who will take the kingdom of God by force. That yeah. is what we need today. That was a pretty epic line. I was like, it I don't is. even know what to deal with this. It's awesome. It is. So he says, um, I'll, I'll read it because it was just so good. It was not without reason that Christ said the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and men of violence take it by force. And moreover, that the children of this world are more astute than are the children of light. We gladly accept this rebuke that we may be like those violent people of God that we have often seen in the history of the church and still see today that we may consciously join the great mission of revealing Christ to the world. I love that. man. I, I, I hope that when you hear this and when you read it, like you see, like, I hope it, it's a little bit of a moment of conversion for you that yeah. like, this is, these are dramatic words that he's using. Violent men is who he's looking for. <laughs> and what he means is like, uh, like the gospel's aggressive, right? And we need to be aggressive yeah. and in, in sharing yeah. Jesus Christ with the world and revealing man to himself. So if you want to look for a great, a great line for what is a summary of evangelization that flows right from what he said, he said that we may consciously join in the great mission of revealing Christ to the world. And then this next sentence I love helping each person to find himself in Christ. I mean, how many people do you hear like, Oh, I got to find myself. Right. right. That's I'm like going the on class. A journey, oh, totally. Right. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. But you, you won't find yourself in yourself. You won't find yourself in the world. You only find yourself in the one who knows you created you, loved you, redeemed you and calls you each by name. 
you find yourself in Christ. And so it ends with this wonderful understanding of the missionary attitude. And then we'll go to our practical takeaways. The missionary attitude always begins with a feeling of deep esteem for what is in man, for what man has himself worked out in the depths of his spirit concerning the most profound and important problems. And what what he's saying is when Christianity enters a land of a different religion, Right, he says the the mission is never destruction, but is instead a taking up and fresh building, even if in practice there has not always been a full correspondence with this high ideal. You there is times in in church history where we entered in and we truly took what was true, good, and beautiful from these religions, philosophies, and cultures, and we adopted it, right? Yeah, we assimilated right. it into Christian culture. It became a part, it became a beautiful way to express the gospel truth, like Christmas trees and evergreen wreaths and things like that, that we just kind of take for granted, even the name Easter and all this stuff, like we take in and we assimilate because it becomes something beautiful, right? Christmas being on the winter solstice. It's like, it's the darkest day of the year, but after Christ enters, the days get brighter, right? Like that whole understanding, these were pagan things that the church said like, hey, Yes, they're pagan, but they're human. They tapped on something that was truly human. And so all that which is human finds its place in the church, right? So um, the missionary mindset is not out to like conquer every world religion. It's out to see the seeds of the gospel in many religions and to incorporate that into herself and to ultimately set people free into the fullness of what all that's good, true, and beautiful in their religion ultimately point to Christ. And there we go. That is how we're going to end today's episode. Now we're going to go to our three practical takeaways. And I'm always super nervous about these. I'm nervous about these for two reasons. One, because I am terrible at them when I try to implement them. And two, I always get dunk tied whenever it's time to actually say them. So Dave, why don't you go first? Yeah. The first one, you know, we talked about Pope John Paul, uh, his document being uh, about love, right? And, and, and love concretely, not like some weird hippie love or ethereal thing. Like love concretely in relationship, relationship with Jesus Christ, relationship to other men and, and and women. And what we need to realize as evangelists is that's where evangelization happens. So our first practical takeaway is to evaluate your evangelizing relationships, right? Are they real relationships? Are Is it a program or process you're putting someone through? Or are you literally, you know, encountering another person and helping them to encounter Jesus Christ? And and in turn, remember that when you do that, they help you to encounter Christ in them. Yeah. Second practical takeaway. He says, he quotes Christ, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And then he says, these words contain both a fundamental requirement and a warning. The requirement of an honest relationship with regard to truth as a condition for authentic freedom and the warning to avoid every kind of illusory freedom, every superficial unilateral freedom, every freedom that fails to enter into the whole truth about man and the world. So we have to ask, put yourself in your own relationship with Christ with these 12 paragraphs of one document, hold it up as a mirror to yourself and ask like, am I, am I personally finding myself within the sphere of the mystery of Christ and his redemption, right? Am I doing this or am I settling for, well, yeah, I got a little bit of Jesus to make me feel good. And then I got a lot of the world because that's really where I find my value. Is he saying, you know, you have a, you have a warning here. (laughs) You have a, a requirement and a warning. The truth is here to set you free. Have you given yourself wholly over to it? Awesome. And number three, uh, JP two says, man cannot live without love. 
the hard part about this, we talk about love a lot as evangelists, but modern man doesn't know what love is. So I want you to think about how do you teach people to love and you teach people to love by loving them. So take a look at how you're going to do that. Like you need to teach people truly what love means. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me me no more. Man, you're so good at that. Don't quit your day job. All right, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. I'm Mike Gomer Gorman saying adios. God bless. Bye. 